turn to Matthew 5 while you're turning there. Um, Beginning tomorrow, August 1st through the 8th, there is a special emphasis to help bring revival in our land and around the world, and it's called God Speaking. What it is, is in the eighth month, for eight days, one hour a day for eight hours, that would be a total of, that people commit to listening to selected portions of the Word of God that would be instrumental in helping bring revival. And... Um, You can listen to it on the radio or online. There are a few of these flyers on the back with the um, website. I can give it to you now. It is www. Incidentally, this, I'm just, do you have to put www anymore? Can you just put the webpage? So why do we say www? Here's the website, okay? God-speaking.com, okay? Um, This is a, a ministry of angel ministries, and this is being put in 900 languages around the world, and, um, we can do our part. You know, what The key to revival, when the children of Israel, Ezra found copies of the Word and stood and read it to the people, and then their hearts were changed. And as we expose ourselves to the Word of God, um, some of you travel a half hour a day to work. Some of you travel an hour a day to work. You could um, listen to it on your way to work, okay? Um, but there's a great opportunity, and I trust <clears throat> you will be blessed with that. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, we find the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> we are looking <clears throat> during this summer <clears throat> at the first 12 verses, which are commonly called the Beatitudes, <clears throat> the attitudes that God Um, ministers and works in our life, and this is foundational to all his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, what really laid the foundational principles of God's kingdom. And um, in verse 3, he began these, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poverty of spirit that we looked at is we understand we are bankrupt, we have nothing to offer God, and we understand that in our spirit. Blessed are they that mourn over their sin and are broken that we violated a holy God's law, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, that is strength under control, that is Um, We have submitted our will to God, and in humility we have submitted to Him, and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
And now today we come to verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I don't know, maybe there's some individuals here that have really known complete and utter hunger. Most of us are like our grandson Wolf said, I am starved. Is it time to eat yet? He's six years old, and he proceeded then to eat three hamburgers. And I said to Caleb, I'm glad I'm not feeding that boy, you know. But we think we're starved. It just means our stomach might not have a lot of food in it. In our church in Livingston, we had a man by the name of John Ola. He was from Hungary. In World War II, he served in four different armies. When he came to the United States and was able to come here, he would no longer been here. He was drafted in the United States Army. That was the fourth army he served in in World War II. But before he came here, he was in a concentration camp. John Ola was a little guy. He could make the best sausage I have ever had. You could smell John Ola coming from a block away. It was a good sausage smell. Um, but at any rate, I remember John Ola, he didn't talk much about his concentration camp time. But he said, I remember taking the elastic out of my underwear, making a little slingshot and sitting in the concentration camp, he said, I shot a little sparrow. He said, I took that thing, I made a soup out of it, I made a broth out of it. He said, I got as much nourishment as I could get out of that. He said, because I was starving. I've thought, I have never been there. I've, I've, I've done some serious weight cutting in wrestling that wasn't too smart at the time. But I've never been to the point where you are so consumed with the hunger that that's, that's what is on your mind. In the Antarctic, the summer of 1908, Sir Ernest Shackleton and three companions attempted to travel to the South Pole from their winter quarters. They set off with four ponies to help carry the load, and weeks later, ponies dead, the rations all but exhausted, they turned back toward their base. Their goal was not accomplished. Altogether, they had trekked 127 days. On the return journey, as Shackleton recorded in his journal, The Heart of the Antarctic, he said, on our return journey, we spent the time talking about food Elaborate feasts, gourmet delights, sumptuous menus. 
He said, as they staggered along, suffering from dysentery, not knowing whether they would survive or not, every waking hour was occupied with thoughts of eating. When Jesus said, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's akin to Shackleton's Obsession with food, which offers a glimpse of the passion that Jesus intends in our quest for righteousness. We have become, in many instances, a society that looks down upon showing a passion, especially a passion for righteousness. But he uses these two, these terms, hunger and thirst, uh, meaning a driving passion, a consummate ambition. There are a number of things just about hunger and thirst. They are natural signs of life. A dead man has no desire for food or drink. Hunger is a God-given drive. No one has to be taught to be hungry. Now, you may have to teach them to eat certain things, but no one, it's a natural, it's a, it's a testimony that there is, is life there. It, it's interesting, when Jesus raised the maid to life, he then said, go and feed her, evidence that there is life, she ate. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, what did he do? He went and proved to them, I am alive, and he ate with them. Our purpose of fellowship tonight is not to prove to people that you're alive, but hunger and thirst are natural to where there is life. Hunger and thirst indicate there is a need. In this passage, there is a great need, and and we'll look at it in just a moment, righteousness and having a, a lacking. Hunger means I do not have the nourishment sufficient. My body is crying out for nourishment. Thirst. Many of you can relate to being extremely hot and extremely thirsty. I was thinking about this 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 last week in light of this, and I commented to to the family. I mean, most of us around my age, we never had any idea what carrying a water bottle around. You know, everybody now carries water bottles around, and everybody drinking. I mean, how many of you took water bottles up to the haymow with you, huh? How did you survive? How did you stay hydrated? You probably had some other things you're not supposed to. But when you were up in that hayloft and you were drenched with sweat and you had no idea how hot it was up there, but you knew how hot it was. How many of you are relating? You're reliving those memories right now. Notice they all have gray hair or no hair, all right? When you came down out of that 
and you were parched, and you went to that pump, and you started pumping that, and that cold water came out, man, you were you didn't even have the right container. You used your hands, right? Or you used a, a well cup on the thing, and you shared it with everybody there. It's incredible we all didn't die. Shows you we were tougher back then, right? Amen? Come on, that's pretty weak. But you know, I mean, and you've been there at various times where you cannot wait to get a drink. I mean, that's what's on your mind. And then when you get that cool water, oh, man, that, and then you splash it all over you. And knowing the next load's coming in in just a few minutes. But it is that, that, that consumes our mind. And it's an indication when that, when that thirst is there, it's an indication we need, we need water. A hunger and thirst after righteousness is an indication of a great need. Hunger and thirst, another characteristic of them is that they are intense. They are not drives that are easily ignored. Sooner or later, it will show up if we have neglected the basic nourishment and fluids. How many of you have ever been where you got so hot that maybe you passed out or got sick or whatever because we ignored the intense you need to get some fluids. No, just a little bit more. I can finish this. You can't read the Psalms without the intensity of the hunger and thirst. We read at the beginning of the service, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I long to see your power and your glory. There's a sense of, of intensity and passion and, and desire. The psalmist said, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. It becomes, as with Shackleton, it becomes our consuming thought. It controls our life. Hunger and thirst are unending. As long as there is life, there will be hunger and thirst. And usually, what do we say? He's quit eating and drinking. And what is that telling us? He's on his way, departing from this life. I mean, how many of you had something to eat this morning? But you'll be ready for that roast beef and potatoes and carrots and blueberry pie this afternoon, right? Why? Because you need food again. Why? We know It's noon. It's time to eat, right? It's 6 o'clock or whatever. It's time to eat. We're spoiled in this country because we often don't feel the hunger. We go by our watch. I'm sorry, I dated myself again, all right? Most of you don't have watches, okay? But we go by time that it's time. But it's unending. You always have to take 
liquids. You always have to take nourishment. There always has to be a hunger and thirst. And a hunger and thirst are also destroyed by substitutes. Junk food can make a person think they are fed when they still may be starving. They, a person may be full and have no nourishment. The Bible tells us that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the pleasures of sin fill us up, but they don't nourish. They provide nothing for righteousness. But he said it's not just a a passion for something. There are many people that have a great passion for something. He didn't say being passionate is blessed. He said blessed are those that have a hunger and thirst, a great passion for righteousness. As physical life depends on food and water, spiritual life depends on righteousness. So we ask, what is righteousness? You know, it's, it's one of those terms that we hear a lot, but how do you define it? What is righteousness? What does it mean to, to have a, a strong, intense, unending passion for righteousness? One aspect of righteousness is that it is a right relationship with God. So what he's saying is, blessed is that deeply satisfied individual that he gets this blessing as a result of a right relationship with God. And let me... Just go back. This is all built on the first four Beatitudes. It's realizing I am bankrupt before God. I have nothing to offer God. I am broken over my own sin. I am submitting to God's ways. And I need His righteousness. Only those who are right with God will know the deep satisfaction and peace, and joy, and hope in a relationship with God. And he says, this is one aspect. The hungering and thirsting for righteousness is the longing of the person who has been broken over their own spiritual poverty and humbled themselves before God and desires to learn from God how they can be righteous before Him. A Native American Indian and a white man were deeply moved. They attended the same service, heard the same sermon. That night, the Native American received Christ as his Savior. But for days, the white man refused to accept Jesus Christ. Eventually, he too repented and came to know the the peace of having his sins forgiven. And later he asked, his friend, the Native American, why did it take me so long when you responded right away? His friend said, my brother, I can best explain it with a little story. At one time, a rich prince wished to give each of us a new coat. 
You shook your head and replied, I don't think so. Mine looks good enough. When he made the same offer to me, I looked at my own blanket and said, This is good for nothing. And I gratefully accepted the beautiful gift and garment he offered. You wouldn't give up your own righteousness, he said. But knowing I had no goodness of my own, I immediately received Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Until we understand the first three Beatitudes, we will never have a hunger for the righteousness of God. And it's understanding that as a sinner, we come to God with need of two kinds of righteousness. Number one, the righteousness that comes only by justification through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, when, when we call upon Jesus Christ, when we understand, I have nothing to offer God, my sin is has already condemned me. I have no way that I can provide forgiveness for my sins. And I call upon Jesus Christ believing He paid the penalty for my sin and completely paid for it. Not of works that I do. I have nothing to, to contribute to this. And I call upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Then I am born again. I am born spiritually. I am adopted into God's family. Those are all Bible terms. I am justified, another Bible term. I am declared, accepted by God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God treats me. As if I lived Christ's life, though I didn't. Do you you see what that is? God says, he treats me as though I lived Christ's life. But I didn't live his life. That means it was imputed. It was put on my account. He sees me complete in Christ. That's the first aspect of justification, the first aspect of righteousness. There has to come a point in time in our life where we say, I need forgiveness. I need for, I hunger and thirst. I need this forgiveness. And we call upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And we're justified. But the second aspect is We can call it by several terms, sanctification. We can call it um, spiritual growth. It is a personal righteousness. So here I am. I call upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, and I am justified before God. God sees me as if I had lived Christ's life. And that's how I am given his righteousness. But I still have my flesh and my nature, and I need to grow in Christ. And that's where I now, I hungered and thirsted after his forgiveness, his righteousness. Now I have to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God, which is doing what is right. It's a process of growth. It is a hunger and thirst 
for the righteousness, a desire to be free from sin in order to be rightly related with God. Those in God's kingdom, those who have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus, Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5, will have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will want to grow. I I want a right relationship with God, and this hinders that relationship. I want to put it away. I want to, I have this burning desire and passion to be like Christ. It's not this, hey, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I know that. I'm good to go. They are content in their justification, but they are perpetually dissatisfied with their spiritual growth and sanctification. And there's a hunger. It's not an attitude, hey, I'm, I'm saved, I'm good to go. God looks as me as though all my sins are forgiven. So what does it matter? I'm going to heaven. If there is no hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's a pretty sure sign that there never was life here in the first place. That's what Jesus is teaching. There will be, if there's no hunger and thirst for righteousness, we said hunger and thirst are a sign of life. If there's no hunger and thirst, know what we do a lot in Christianity? We prop up dead bodies and make them look like they're alive. But there's no hunger and thirst for God. They never did belong to God. If there's no hunger and thirst, he said, Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you take flowers to a hungry man, it doesn't help. If you take a violin to a hungry man and play him a tune, it doesn't help. If you give him a nice conversation and Occupy his time. It doesn't help. Nothing will fill him but food. And a thirsty man doesn't want a mellow, a, a nice song played to him. He doesn't want a rose. He, does, he doesn't want anything but a drink. And our souls were made to desire God, and nothing but God will fill it. And God in his mercy says, I am removing from you the penalty of sin. And because I have brought you to life, there will be a hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said, if there's no hunger and thirst for righteousness, it isn't that you lost your salvation. You never had it. And he's saying it is this passion in understanding this. And so he begins a work in us. And as we start growing in Christ, we find this passion for some external thing. Well, it doesn't satisfy. And this passion for notoriety, it doesn't satisfy. And this passion for possessions, it doesn't satisfy. And God is trying to show us the only thing that satisfies is Jesus Christ. And then We have a hunger for that. God, I've got to have you. Give me Jesus. 
Take everything else, but give me Jesus. It will be manifested in our great appetite for the Word of God. You know, when a hungry man sits down to dinner, he doesn't complain that the plate is chipped. He doesn't complain that the silverware isn't in the right place. He doesn't complain that there's no napkin provided. When a hungry man sits down to a meal, his thought is the food. We, we have been so blessed in America spiritually. We've been given all this spiritual food, but we sit there complaining that it isn't delivered the way I like, and it, I might have a, it wasn't prepared the right way, and, and we complain about all these things, and it's evident we're not, we, we don't even know what hunger is. If we're hungry enough for righteousness, it will drive us to the Word of God. We'll have a passion for the Word of God. If we're hungry for righteousness, it will be manifested. You won't have to have people telling you what to do and not do. The Spirit of God will do that. God, I want to do what you want me to do. You are alone what satisfies And God oftentimes deals in our life to show us, here, you thought this success would satisfy. You thought if you could just have your own way here, that would satisfy. And he lets us run down those roads and find their empty dead ends. A hunger for righteousness. First of all, justification. Have you called upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins And then, if you have, there will be a passion for righteousness. It'll be in infancy. I mean, it's, it's fun to be on this end of it as a grandpa now, you know. So you, you see Isaac holding Noel, and she's not eating foods yet. But he's trying to eat a plate there, and she keeps grabbing at it. Why? She has life. She wants to eat. No, you can't eat that yet. She wants to eat. If you have a baby that just sits there and never wants to eat, something's wrong. We got a lot of Christians that were doing this number. Here, watch, look at you want to eat this? <laughs> Open wide, you know. You've done that with your kids, right? How many of you've done that with the spoon? Yeah, you've done that. Open wide, and it won't, and you slide it in, you know. That's why God never intended you to feed kale to kids. All right, just kidding, just kidding. But we're doing that in in Christianity. Why? We don't have a hunger for God. We don't have a hunger for righteousness. The problem in our nation isn't the world. The problem in our nation is Christians do not hunger after righteousness. 
And Jesus said, blessed are those who are broken over their own sin to the point that they say, I must have the righteousness of God. And God, now my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not is in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And because of that, now I hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we need to have a cry out to God that says, God, give me a hunger and thirst for you and you alone. Give me a hunger and thirst for doing what is right. It will be manifested in a great, great appetite for the word of God because we'll find nothing else can satisfy So if you were to look at your life today, would you say that you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? It's not a hunger and thirst just for God. You can know all this about God and it never works out in righteousness. Righteousness is doing right. It will show up in your home, in your attitude in the home. It will show up at work. It will show up in your thought life. It will show up. There's a a desire to do what is right. Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. You may say, I don't get what's going on in my life. Maybe God's trying to show you. That nothing can satisfy but God. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have a spirit-infused hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, I pray if there are individuals here that examine their life and they see they do not have any hunger and thirst for you, I pray that they would come to the point where they realize and are broken over their sin and call upon you for the salvation of their souls. And then, Lord, I pray for every believer here that we would understand the only thing that will satisfy in this life and in eternity is you. And that we would have a burning passion and desire for you. Lord, that we would hunger and thirst after you. I pray that your power would be seen as we hunger and thirst after you and then are filled by the power of your spirit. Lord, thank you for justification that you see us as though we live Christ's life. And Lord, thank you for the ongoing work of sanctification that calls us to walk in purity, separated unto you. We praise you in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's